We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Broncos for Breakfast with Nick Kendall and Scott Kennedy. Welcome in. Welcome in. It is Monday morning. I almost said Saturday, Scott. Monday morning of the 18th, and we're a day behind, so we had a little time to percolate on that unfortunate Broncos trip to Detroit. I am Nick Kendall, joined by, as always, Scott Kennedy for these morning shows. Happy Monday, Scott. Happy uh, loser Monday to both of us. How you doing? Uh, unfortunate week of football all around. Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, apologize for being late on Mondays. We hit uh, a, diff- a different podcast over on my channel as well. So if you want to join us, if you want to know where are these guys, just go over to youtube.com slash Scott Kennedy and subscribe because I apologize to Broncos country there about five times because we started talking potential head coaching candidates for a reason. That's not a problem that the Denver Broncos are going to have, but The game, I think, opened up a lot of questions around Broncos country, the way this game went, and we'll get into that. I'm not not overly concerned, honestly, with what I saw. We'll get into that, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. uh, It was an unfortunate week of football, no doubt, for the Broncos. You had pretty much every single game uh, went the wrong direction for the Broncos' playoff chances. Uh, according to New York Times now, I think the Broncos now only have a 19% chance of making the playoffs and only a 75% chance if they win out. And based on what we've seen this season, uh, winning out is not super. I mean, it's what do you think the odds of the Broncos winning out right now, Scott? I know it's bad teams, but we've kind of seen this Broncos team. They can beat anybody but lose to anybody, too. Yeah, I mean, let's just do the do the math on it. Even if you say it was a, a 70% chance of win you of winning you find probability by going 0.7 times 0.7 times 0.7. And that ends up a 34% chance of winning all three of those games. So a one in three. I think two and one sounds about right. Um, You needed Staley to stick around for one more game. You needed Mm -hmm. that team. The Raiders got the benefit of that. They could get that new coach bump uh, on the interim. And then the Raiders already got it. So they're tougher than they were going to be six weeks ago. You needed to catch those guys. You needed them to stick around and and, and, and run out the ground ball. Um, but I, I think two and one feels right, but these are, these are absolutely three winnable games. But when you're playing close games every time, Nick, because your defense has been playing well for the most part, again, we'll get into that. Let's not get too much into recency bias on this, but when you're playing a lot of close games, two out of three is pretty good in those games. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see one game at a time. You got the Patriots next. You have a little extra day to prepare as well. And I'm sure that everybody's pretty ticked off uh, with how the game went in Detroit, because there's nothing more frustrating than just getting physically dominated in a football game. And that's pretty much my big takeaway uh, from this game. Scott is that the Broncos up front got outmanned every single which way possible. Not super surprising to see the Broncos front seven uh, get beat up by Detroit. That's something we kind of talked about uh, entering this game, that the combination of the running backs with the Detroit offensive line with Sam Laporta could be a problem for Denver that we have not seen, putting the linebackers and the defensive line in conflict uh, that 
especially if Denver didn't start with an early lead and get hot out the gate could be pretty hard. And that proved to be pretty true. Uh, Detroit was super efficient this week on the ground running for what was 177 yards. They had five explosive runs in this game. So runs of 10 plus yards in this one also. And you pretty much just couldn't do anything on the defensive side of the ball. It's not just the run game too. Uh, it was the pass game. I know you had two sacks. DJ Jones had one good sack play. I think Cooper had a good one late, but even as golf, I mean, he hit, you hit the play action and he hit the back of his drop and he just stand there and pivot surveying the field. Wouldn't even have to get off his freaking spot half the time. It didn't matter if you were blitzing or not. So you're getting beat on the run game. You're getting beat without getting pressure up front while blitzing. You're going to have a hard time on defense when you can't do anything up front. Nick, we talked about that early on. What's the ceiling of this team? You know, and it's, it's the lack of pressure is going to make it tough against better quarterbacks. And the very first play of this game was a play action drop back. And I took the notes because it ended up being golf stood back there forever. Nothing. And he just threw the ball to the sidelines. And I'm like, okay, that was a good indication right there of why the Broncos have been so good on third down over the course of the last two months. It's because despite not being able to get pressure with their front four, they've been really, really good on the back end. The problem with this team, Nick, is they're not going to, they don't have to beat you downfield. We talked about the balances this team has. The strength, the real strength of his team, as good as Amon Ross St. Brown is, the real strength of this team right now is tight ends and running backs. Okay. So they're beating you underneath short to short medium passing game. And what's that doing? That's exposing your coverage in that area with your linebackers, it's exposing your lack of talent in your front four. It was a bad matchup, and we talked about the way this team wins. Really, the only way this team wins is if Detroit's given the ball away. If Detroit, who has been given the ball away on a very high level, but you went to a Detroit team that was laser-focused. They were they needed this game. They'd lost. They had a couple bad losses recently. They're at home. It's just one of those games, man. It's. It, yep. I, I'm not surprised that Detroit won the game. I'm. I'm a little surprised it was as one sided as it was. Um, but some of that was composure too, Nick. The Broncos yeah. lost their composure in this one. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, just across the board, it was a pretty. It's easier to say who played well because it's like three players on defense essentially versus who stunk. Uh, I mean, the Broncos' defensive line. I haven't seen much of him this season, but like Tyler Lancaster, they're just absolutely dreadful. Uh, out there, I thought outside of the sack, I didn't think DJ Jones had a good game by any means. Uh, I don't. It's way too early to be concerned about this, but uh, Drew Sanders looks really poor out there. He looked bad at linebacker, mm-hmm. and he also looks like stiff, uh, sh- stubby, and not athletic at edge. Also, at the same time, now granted, a lot of reps against Penny Sewell, who was just dominating whatever matchup he had in this game. For the most part, Cooper gave him a few times, but that's going to happen uh, with offensive line when you have that many reps and it has to be perfect. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, the Broncos defense just stunk so loud. The linebackers were horrific in this one. Uh, P.J. Locke had a terrible game as well. The tackling, Fabian Moreau had a pumpkin game as you were texting me, Scott. But, I mean, I have a, I, the tackling was poor on Fabian. I feel like the Broncos have done a pretty good good job limiting his open field tacking, tackling reps. Uh, but in this game specifically uh, it is down the line, but I just can't even get past the front seven stinking as bad as they did. Once you're getting that physically destroyed against a lions team that was playing their starting offensive line for one of the few times this season across the board. I mean, you had no chance. They just imposed their will on you and uh, you couldn't do anything about it. Troy Boer coming in. He says, Hey guys, rough outing, but three winnable games left and we are relevant at Christmas. I'll take it after the last few years. Have a great show. Thank you, Troy. Uh, appreciate the support of the show. And and yes, it stinks. Um, if you don't dig yourself that freaking hole at the beginning of the season, you survive this game. Dallas Cowboys fans are jumping off cliffs right now. Man, it happens. Mm-hmm. The tr- Dallas Cowboys is coming off an emotional win. They're going to Buffalo, who is absolutely in desperation mode, on the road, and they got waxed. That's yeah. the NFL. Now, do I think if they played again in the Super Bowl tomorrow, do I think that would be a closer game? Yeah, I do. Do I think yeah. Detroit is better than the Denver Broncos? Yes, I do. They're in year three of the project. They've been some. They've had a lot of bad teams and a lot of high draft choices. Made some moves, and they're in year three of Dan Campbell's project. They're a good team. Yeah, you caught them at the wrong time. Um, 
and because you dug yourself a hole, it, it hurt that much more. But this isn't a jump off the cliff. I'm out on Sean Payton. I'm out on no. I'm, I'm the Broncos are who we thought they are, which mm-hmm. is a good team. They just got beat by a better team who needed it. I won't say needed it more, but had everything going in their direction. And it was a on top of that, Nick. Like I said, it's a this team was a bad matchup for Denver. For Denver offensively, yep. they're they're a bad matchup for for Denver offensively. Um, appreciate you, Troy. Uh, what's always a good matchup for us, though, it's Little Caesars Pizza. So make sure you make Little Caesars Pizza, who is the official sponsor of the NFL, pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Uh, we make it our part of our game day as often as we possibly can. And we order online during our pizza pizza pregame one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. Get ready for some football and fun. It might be breakfast time, but for lunch and dinner, you can choose your Little Caesars pizza, your favorite one, or customize it to pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. Yeah, I mean, it's always winning when you get the crazy bread, and I especially think it's double win. Crazy bread plus stuffed with cheese, too. That is my absolute favorite. You can get it just the bread itself or, of course, the crazy bread stuffed crust on pizza. You go pepperoni pizza, crazy crust with stuff. I mean, gosh. I'm hungry, Scott. I definitely would have pizza for breakfast. Uh, it's a winning combination for sure. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery in our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the games this week. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Thanks, everybody. Pizza, pizza. Thank you to Little Caesars. Uh, Want to say good morning to Michael Ronquillo comes in. Appreciate you on your support on uh, the Falcons podcast, which we did this morning, talking about head coaches and potential head coaches and a little NFL draft too, Michael. So thank you. Uh, appreciate your support on all our shows. And Keith has a question here that I like. It says, how would you rank the Lions amongst the teams we've played this year? And I'm, I have a qualifier on this one, Nick. How would you rank them among the teams you've played at the time you played them? Probably second. Second. In terms of the time you played them. Absolutely. I think if you played like a just simulated a bunch of games together, I think they'd be similar to the Bills and Chiefs mm-hmm. still, even though the Broncos beat them. You had the turnover gods in your favor in those games, and you emphatically did not have that in this game. Uh, and specifically, matchups make fights. It's a week-to-week league, and you keep talking about it, Scott the Lions' ability to just own you on the line of scrimmage when your weakness as a team is the defensive line at the and end of the day. And isolate your linebackers with skill players that are more athletic than your linebackers. And the ability to 
overcome your ability to blitz because the communication and the talent is there good enough. So you're not getting pressure with four. You're not getting pressure with blitzing. You can't stop the run. You can't do anything. Our pets heads are falling off here. So this is a, a terrible uh, matchup for the Broncos in this game without a doubt. And it was one that, again, we said it on here. I, I was kicking myself all day uh, yesterday that for picking the Broncos, because there was so much data that suggested that this Broncos team was due for a massive regression. And I had all the data like written out and done. And I'm like, I could write an article on this, but I didn't want to be a Scrooge. I didn't want to be a miser uh, this time of year. You know, sometimes I get accused of being bad vibes when things are going well. Cause I point to what's going wrong. It's like a lot of the data for the Broncos defense suggests we are in line for a massive regression. Their early down EPA per play was terrible. Uh, they were one of the worst teams in the NFL, even during the win streak in success rate on the de- on the uh, rushing defensive side. And the really fluky thing was the fumbles, Scott. Fumbles are one of the flukiest chaos stats in football. Uh, it really interceptions are a little bit more deserved and predictable. Fumbles themselves and fumble recoveries, coin flips. And the Broncos had like so many points uh, gained off of fumbles this season. I think there was a time where the gap between them and the Giants at two for EPA gained off fumbles was the same as the Giants at two to the team at like 28th in the NFL this year. So obviously that was an issue for the Broncos in this one. Uh, you look at like when the, you look at plays with only 10 to 90% win probability too, that makes the Broncos look even worse defensively. Then you have a game like this all comes crashing down. We kind of see, and it's not just, you know, the front seven, like we said, Locke had a bad game. Moreau had a bad game. Pat Sertan had a couple of uh, one drive where I was like, oh man, Sertan didn't look good on that one, but still obviously a great player. Really, the only guys that come out of this game on the defensive side of the ball are the ones that were like quiet in a good way, which is never what you want. A guy like Cooper, I thought had an okay game. Simmons, I think, had an okay game, but everybody else, man, I, they they stunk out loud. It was a terrible game for the defense. Yeah, it was, and you know, we can say, oh, Vance Joseph, you know, the pumpkin in there. Like again, what are you supposed to do? this team's going to be able to isolate. They're going to be able to find the weakness in this defense because they have strengths all over the place. They can go out to the wide receivers. They can come inside to Sam Laporta. They can just run the ball. They can do, they can swing the ball. This the best team to answer your question for Keith, for me, when you played them, Miami dolphins were on fire. It was mm-hmm. in Miami. And again, very similar types of offenses to a certain extent in the way they can beat you. They can beat you in all kinds of different ways, and they do a great job of isolating the middle of your defense with underneath routes and crossing routes. And that's that's killer for the Denver Broncos team, just a, a bad matchup. The Buffalo Bills might be the best team in the NFL right now. I'll go 49ers, but they're, they're in the argument. They weren't when you played them. They were, they were struggling. The Chiefs could be come playoff time the best team in the NFL. Nobody's going to write off the Chiefs based on their regular season record, but they're not playing juggernaut football right now. The Detroit Lions was a bad matchup. They needed this game. Not that you didn't again, but at home that makes a difference. And they're and just frankly they're they're better than you. And this went one sided. I saw mm-hmm. a comment in here: the Chiefs aren't, or, or the, the the Lions aren't twenty four, whatever the final score was, points better than us. I'm sorry. I agree. I agree. These teams are much closer than this, but you play them 10 times and you're going to get a couple of these games where it's a blowout that swings one way or the other. Just happened to be one of those nights where things didn't go against you. And we got plenty of time to get into officiating calls also. Um, Yeah. And the one thing, and we got Gary Palmer coming in 999 said, good morning, Nick and Scott. We are still too soft. Need better defensive line. Go Broncos. And that was one of the things, if you guys haven't had a chance yet, I uh, did a hour-long defensive interview with uh, Cody Alexander, who does a lot of really interesting scheme stuff covering high school, college, and NFL. And uh, we talked for an hour on Mile High Huddle. If you haven't done watched that yet, it's a really interesting one. A little bit unfortunate with how bad the Broncos defense looked with the uh, hindsight lens on that since we interviewed before that game on Saturday. But rough one for the Broncos there. But what he, he... his big takeaway or my big takeaway from team building talking with Cody was that you can get a little bit of pressure with blitzing. You can do a lot of stuff on the back end coverage wise uh, with scheme. But at the end of the day, do you have the horses or not up front to play different types of defenses schemes in the back end and stop the run? That is a personnel thing at the end of the day. And it's been an issue all season. And he said, the one thing this Broncos team really needs to hit on is the defensive line outside of Zach Allen, who's more of a four five technique type who has some versatility inside outside who are your guys inside that are occupying blocks pushing the gap being 
anchors in the run game or, uh, you know, tree stumps, so to speak, and disrupting. And the Broncos just got, you know, earth bulldozed all game long on the defensive front. I saw a comment in here. DJ Jones had a good game. He had a, he had some good pass rush reps in this game. I'll give him that. He was horrible against the run for a guy who you brought in to play, you know, one eye, uh, two eye technique, whatever on that inside, he was getting just eight yards, nine yards down the field on a lot of these plays. And with that, getting the linebackers blocked out of their gaps. I mean, it was one of my early notes. Um, I said DJ Sack came on a straight four-man rush that saved three points because it knocked him out of field goal range. After that, that was the last time I remember thinking I saw DJ Jones in a good time. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at PFF grades. Um, do you know what not. his overall grade DJ Jones was for the game? I would guess it's probably about 40 to 45 because... 41. I, okay, wow. 41.1, 41. which is... Destroyed in the run game. Red-orange, which is which is 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 bad. Um yeah. That is uh, that is not good. That is not good. And um, this isn't a surprise. You know, like we said, the, the that they are having trouble up front. They're they're shorthanded up front. Jonathan Harris, God bless him, isn't a starting NFL defensive lineman on a premier team. He's just not. Uh, DJ Jones was much better last year. I think he had a little more help last year. Deshaun Williams is better than Jonathan Harris. Mm-hmm. Zach Allen, I think, is better than Draymond Jones, but the three of them combined, I probably would go last year just because Jonathan Harris is much more of a liability than Deshaun. So, another point I wanted to make on this was, you know, oh, how much did you miss Nick Benito? A lot, if for no other reason than he's not Drew Sanders. Drew Sanders <laughs> just, terrible. he's just not ready. This yeah, isn't to say he can't terrible. be, or is a wasted yeah. pick, or he's a bust, none of that. When he's been forced into action, I'd have to look at snap counts. But by God, what do we say the two worst matchups for this Broncos defense have been? The teams that can beat you underneath with tight ends, with running backs, with speed across the middle into the short to really short medium passing game. What two games have we had to see Drew Sanders force into action the most? Those Miami Miami Dolphins, Detroit Lions. He tried to hide him a little bit by playing him up on the edge. He's just not ready. He's not. And I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing him play next year with a full off season and just football 101 just pounded into his brain over the course of the next, you know, 9 months. And I am very I was a big proponent of getting Browning to the edge just because of the traits. Uh, there were <laughs> tweets that I sent after the Broncos drafted him, you know, kind of poking fun because some people will freak out because they want that athletic coverage linebacker so bad that the thought of moving somebody off that spot is, you know, pearl clutching uh, in the end. So unfortunately, watching Drew Sanders out there, because you see Browning edge, like, okay, there's the twitch. There's something here. We're cooking with something. I don't know if I see that with Sanders at edge. I don't see the ability. Oh, it, was to a, do- it was an emergency type of thing. Yeah. You know, get just, off, but we're it, out of bodies. He's going to have, we can't have him play in the middle, but we need him out there. We're going to have to put him on the line of scrimmage. But I think long-term when you saw Browning at edge, it's like, okay, we have something here with the little sample size with Sanders at edge. I think his pathway to being a plus player in the NFL almost has to be at stack off ball linebacker, just because I don't think he's got the God given traits uh, to be a good edge rusher right now. We'll see what it looks like next year. Uh, but right now, I mean, the power that he's not showing also there, well, the dip, uh, the burst, the speed to power, it just, it doesn't look like it's there uh, when I've seen him. So hopefully, you know, you're in the off season, kind of working on the processing, the run fits and whatnot with the Broncos linebackers will be better. But I mean, with how poor he's been at linebacker and the small sample size, you almost wonder if the Broncos feel like they have to, retain uh Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton they were definitely not good enough in this game but as again Cody Alexander made the point in the the interview if you guys go check it out I'm kind of you know it's always nice to hear somebody say something that you haven't talked to really say something that you've been saying for a while but he said linebackers you really just need competency out there if you can find a unicorn it's fine but there's not really good correlation between drafting early and finding a unicorn at linebacker a lot of the best ones are day two picks that teams just had no idea they'd actually be that good so you got lucky uh but there he called them the running backs of the defense and at the end of the day if you don't have the horses up front you're going to have games like this. And that's what we saw against the Lions. You just don't have the dudes up front right now. You have to have the inside linebacker that will make the routine play. Yep. That's what they have to do. If they can do more than that, great. That touchdown to Sam Laporta, the first one of three, yep. that's a missed tackle that an inside linebacker just has to make. 
has to make that tackle. Now, do they go on and score anyway? Maybe. Doesn't matter. He's got to make that tackle. Uh, Going out wide, open space, inside linebacker with leverage, tight end. That's got to be made. And this was was probably the worst tackling game I remember seeing from the Broncos. So we can talk about schemes. We can talk about players. We can talk about all this. But by God, you got to tackle. And there was some really poor tackling out there. Um, In the passing game early, the Lions targeted Fabian Moreau. And they were targeting him in the short passing game. And they were making, I think he had five tackles in the first quarter. Like, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, He was doing his job, though. I mean, he was limiting the runs after the catch. It was, I'm not picking on Fabian. It It wasn't a great game for anybody, including the referees. We can get into that a little bit, too. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about it yet. And this kind of shows not to excuse them because they're when you have a game like this, there is fault and blood on everyone's hands. Uh, but the Broncos offense, Scott, I think that I can dub myself critical, but fair, I would say, of uh, Russell Wilson analysis. Uh, he's been probably somewhere to the 11th to 17th best quarterback in the NFL this year. Uh, a lot of the advanced stats would indicate that's about his ranking as well. So he's been fine. He's a quarterback that you can win with. And in this game, I do think that if obviously you had a better quarterback, you maybe would have been a little feisty and things turn out a little differently. But this is a game where I felt like it was so hard to even evaluate Russell Wilson because you get behind early. Your defense goes in what gives up five touchdown drives in a row or something wild like that during this game. Uh, after the first three drives, you don't get another punt until the f- halfway through the fourth quarter or something. But the Broncos offense in this one, they are limited a tad because of what Russell Wilson does as a drop back passer. But your offensive line just got manhandled. You couldn't run the football. Uh, I hate to be you know, critical of him because of what he's worked through, but this was a horrible Javonta Williams game, uh, missing lanes, uh, getting tackled in the backfield. Uh, some of it was because I think of disrespect from the lions in terms of the Broncos pass game. They were just pinning their ears back and playing everything like a run, which makes it pretty damn hard to run. Uh, but this was the first game in a bit where, uh, I guess you can maybe say the Houston game as well, but the Broncos offensive line was beaten. I feel like a lot, a lot of times this year, they've either won matchups or had stalemates when you think the ground game and the pass game, uh, but across the board, beaten. John Kaminsky and the Lions whipped you on inside all game long. Ben Powers had one of his worst games of the year. McGlinchey struggled out there as well. Uh, just a really, really poor game from the offense, too. They couldn't help the defense, uh, but the offense Thursday, Scott, this might be a game where the offense has to put up some points and uh, play a little bit of keep up. Can they do that when they are behind? Right now, the answer is no. I think there's a pretty much just a one avenue uh for success for this Broncos team, close, ugly football, get a lead early, get some points early and just kind of, you know, park the bus and play very conservative football while also hopefully hitting one to two home runs. But when you're down 21 points, you know, you got to rely on the timing drop back pass game. And I don't think you can do that with uh, Russell down 21 points. What was that? Until it was a long time. You were in this game and we'll get into that one too. It was the second quarter. Game. You were down. To, yeah. You, you had a chance. You were down 21 points. You had a chance to cut it to 14 yeah, early in the second half. We'll get into that. Um, something I've noticed that has changed in, in this stream recently is StreamYard and Twix, Twitter, X, are playing much nicer together. So they've made some changes, and we've got a lot of new viewers coming in on, on X, uh, including Eli Marsha, who comes in and says, do y'all think we get in if we win out? So want to say hello to all of our new Twitter viewers, X viewers. They're not X viewers. They're new viewers. Um, so thanks for coming in and, uh, please join the show. We want to highlight some of the comments every show. He says, do y'all think we get in if we went out? No, I think you miss out at 10 and seven. Basically everything you needed to happen this week to get in at 10 and seven didn't happen. Uh, every team that you were worried about that you're in contention with, that's in that 10 and seven range. They all won mm-hmm. every single one of them. The Texans, the Colts, the Bengals, the Bills, Browns, the Browns, the Browns are in it now. That moved them up to nine wins, I think. Um, yeah. So the Browns are good. They're they've they've locked up a spot as far as I'm concerned. The Steelers are dropping out, but now there's five teams fighting for what two spots? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really hard. I mean, at the end of the day, all you can do is take care of business, and if you go three and zero, you're going to give yourself a chance. But one more loss, and it's 
you're done uh, at that point. So uh, 10 and seven, you still got a chance because a lot of these teams also, Scott, while you mentioned them, a lot of them are playing each other still over these final three games. Uh, like I said, I think New York Times had the Broncos 74, 75% chance of making the playoffs if they go 10 and seven uh, and win the final three games. So you have a chance. Uh, it's not really, you know, the Detroit game that stinks at the end of the day for being left out. It's, you know, missing kicks versus the Raiders. It's losing to a terrible commander's team. It's losing somehow getting whipped by the jets at home. I mean, those are the three. It feels like a missed opportunity a lifetime ago, but those games count just the same as the standings as these final three games, unfortunately. So uh, no beauty contest stuff here for the Broncos. So possible to get in if they went out, but, Gosh, it's going to be hard to win out. I know they're playing backup quarterbacks, but with the margin of error this Broncos team plays with right now, uh, if you're not winning the turnover battle and getting an early lead and getting points early off a good field position, you, you struggle. Uh, you just simply do struggle in the drop back pass game. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Well, and you, you've got to think, you know, when you start looking at it, it's like, well, what about these other teams? Well, a couple of those other teams play each other. So yeah, Colts and Texans, one of them's got a for sure loss but the other one's got a for sure win that mm -hmm. you still have to try and climb over. And they're a game yep. ahead of you already. So I, I think it's going to be tough. Yep. I, I think um, I think with the tiebreakers and stuff, I don't think 10 and 7 going to get you in. But you know what? Let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's find out. Let's go. Let's let's go win the next three, finish 10 and 7, and let's see what happens. Uh, Sisto has an interesting question for me. He says, uh, Sisto Rosales coming in on Facebook. He says, Scott, are you going to be cheering for Russ the rest of the season? I don't root against Russ. I, don't, I, I like Russell Wilson. I think he is good for the game. Uh, he seems like an excellent person. I don't want to see him fail. Um, I don't cheer for too many teams and stuff out there outside of Chelsea Football Club. But uh, I want to see Russell Wilson succeed. I typically am pro player. I like to see guys make plays. I don't like to see guys fail. So if it comes down to, you know, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be cheering for Russell Wilson to succeed this year. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, honest to God, after this game, and again, I've been critical, hopefully critical, but fair, uh, but critical of Wilson, just with the parameters of talking about him. Uh, some people would say that me saying he's a 10 to 16th best quarterback in the NFL this year would be too nice. Some would say that's too mean. So that's kind of the <laughs> right on the green there, Scott. Uh, but I have a good bit of respect uh, for Wilson and what he's done. And honestly, my respect went up uh, for him a good bit after the sideline exchange uh, this week. Russell Wilson, same guy when it's not too high, same guy when it's not too low. And Sean Payton lost it on him on the sideline. I'm not angry at Sean for doing that. I mean, that's kind of the deal that you make with. I think some of that was collateral damage because oh, he was going after the referees. Yep. And whoever happened to be there when he turned was going to get an earful happened to be Russell Wilson and just the overall frustration from the entire game because the Broncos offense was dreadful. And some of that was uh, Russell Wilson, without a doubt uh, some of its style too. It's so hard to say. So the Broncos couldn't like get anything going, but Scott with the way this Broncos team, who's the Broncos second read in the past game, Jerry Judy. Okay. I was going to no, go. No, with I mean, probably whoever is the running back. Okay. And when you do that, you know what it's probably Cortland Sutton. Cause the number one reads the first running back. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Okay. So when your running back is the second read in the tr drop back pass game, how can you run any screens? Because they are triggering on them as a passing option in yeah. general. It's not like a, a wild card here where you're getting to your second and third read down the field. And then, Oh, it's actually the running back. No, we're already targeting on the running game. We're blitzing while having a, uh, Oh God, a, Green dog. I think it's called a green dog blitz where uh, the guy who's blitzing will peel off because his, his main responsibility is still the running back. The running back stays in pass protection. We're doing that. But you're funneling your front seven to stop the run and be aggressive and clog those lanes while taking away option number two. It takes away the passing option there. It takes away the screen option there as well. And when you do that, it's hard to get anything going from a run game pass game because you're so limited in your drop back timing pass game. So it's looks terrible. Uh, the other coaching point I noticed from the defensive line out there was if you see the running back, if I'm coming in and I'm one of the, the defensive linemen, I'm not even blitzing, even whatever. If I see the running back, chuck him. You know, go let yourself get blocked or whatnot. You're basically blocking him. You're occupying. Throw an elbow into him. You know, occupy him. Like you said, that throws off the timing of a screen. It's, it's done. The play's over at that point, if that's what you're calling. Uh, this was a big point of contention 
um, that, uh, you know, over the 28-14, we have a new game. Maybe, you know, you saw how things go, but things kind of went off the rails at 28-10. But 28-14, Jared Capron over on Facebook says, what would be the reason Peyton didn't challenge those touchdowns or the ones that weren't called touchdowns? Uh, I've got my thoughts on this, Nick, but I'll let you take a first crack at it. I think that neither were touchdowns at the end of the day. Watching back to it, I, I mean, maybe you could have challenged the Javante Williams one. I think McLaughlin, he didn't have a good angle on that one. And to me, looking at it, he was stonewalled uh, before the thing. I don't know if I'd have done that one. Maybe the yelling at Russell Wilson was because he got the snap in with like 16, 17 seconds left, and they were still under the process of reviewing if it was a touchdown or not uh, with Javante Williams. But uh, on Which that can one, come but, the communication uh, problems that you have, yep, on the road when it's loud down on the goal line, which we talked about going into the game, but also shows a little bit of a lack of situational awareness, I'm sure, uh, as well from the the, co- the quarterback there to get that in. If the, if that How's is he the getting case, the place from the sideline. Okay, in his ears, right? Yeah. So if he had time to get the play call in and get his ears, whoever is sending him the plays, Sean Payton has time to say, hold it until five seconds. And if he did, and Russell didn't, then he gets his butt chew. And if he didn't, Coach Payton, that one's on you, brother. Yeah, and I, I think it was collateral, and I'm sure it was the whole game. The Broncos offense struggled all night long. I mean, zero points in the first half. You're punt, punt, punt. Uh and the turnover, your margins are pretty thin in this one and you lose, what was it? One to zero in the turnover battle. Maybe it's a completely different game if you don't get that strip sack early on, but this is the, this is Russell Wilson experience football, right? Sometimes you'll get those negative plays, the sacks and the, some of the strip sacks while he's looking to make some explosives and create, but that's uh, the other end of the sword. Unfortunately, sometimes uh, we see Here, JR come in real, yeah, real quick. I want to, I want to put my thoughts on this one because yeah. I agree with Nick almost. And, and it also highlights the problem of uh, VAR, video assistant referee, replay officials, whatever you want to call them. What would be the reason Peyton didn't challenge the, the, those TDs? One, I agree with Nick. I don't think you had a, a view of Jalil McLaughlin getting in for sure. I, I think that one was was too close. I wouldn't have challenged that one. Second down. The other one, I thought Javante Williams was in. I thought that one was clear. Now, the problem you have is there's still people making these calls. Was it Gene Tessitore on this one or Dean Bland or whoever on this one? He comes on and says, oh, man, it sure looked like Jav- uh, Jaleel McLaughlin was in. I agree with you. But but Javante Williams was clearly down on that one. I'm like, I thought it was 100% the opposite. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the problem that you have with these, with, with replay on this. Do you want to waste a, a timeout when you know it's – you've got people like this making decisions if you're not sure? So, again – and after one week after saying, I can't remember ever seeing an offensive offsize called, we see it two game, two weeks in a row with Quinn Miners being called for offensive offsides. I see defensive guys lined up offsides all the time. That's called all the time, all the time. I never see offensive guys called lined up offsides ever. I guess it was a point of emphasis this offseason, Scott. We've seen it called 13 times this year. Uh, <laughs> you looked that number. one up because I can't. How yep. many times has it been called in before that, though? Do they have historical? I can't remember. I don't know about historical. I know it's something they haven't called before, but I also know that it has been a point of emphasis and that it's been called a lot this season than ever before. And teams at this point uh, with the data should know uh, that they're looking for it. So that's something you want to watch out for. And, uh, you know, don't be lined up in the wrong side, especially the guy who's next to the, the ball snapping. I mean, Quinn Miners got to have better awareness than that uh, in that that's, situation. So just bad execution. 4% of games, 5% of games, that's one out of every 20 games, you'll get an, an offsides lined up call now. But it's still a significant jump from... Oh, yeah, for seen. sure. Yeah, yep. So it's uh, it's definitely been a point of emphasis for this team. Uh, but overall, Scott, I again, I keep coming back to the point. You are limited in the passing game because of Russell Wilson. You talk about what this Lions team did really well to the Broncos as far as getting speed and working the middle of the field. Other than the dump downs where it's like long after the snap, you know, three, four seconds after the snap and you're climbing the pocket and then getting the the check down there, the actual timing middle of the field routes are not consistent enough. We did see uh, one of the first plays that Jerry Judy won beautiful snag and run there where you did have a timing route. Yeah. But 
again, and people say, well, they'll point at that one. Okay, well, where is it the rest of the time? The issue isn't that you can't do it never. The issue is that the consistency with that kind of thing is just simply not there. You, If we look at the heat map uh, from Russell Wilson this season, the middle of the field is going to be pretty vacated. That's going to be a lot of stuff behind the line of scrimmage, at the line of scrimmage, outside, and then deep some two or three deep passes a game. Uh, pretty much home run to check down. Uh, and that's an issue with this team. You could not target the linebackers in the past game, something that the Lions have struggled with this season. Uh, and that's partially personnel. Also, you know, you're not really great at the tight end spot uh, in that area. But again, uh, hard to hard to run an offense functionally when you are so limited and the run game was schematically taken out. Yeah, just looking at looking at uh, the run game schematically taken out. I'm interested in, you know, what were the P, the PFF grades for the the offensive line? Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry came in at 77.3 with a 75.3 run block. I think that is generous mm-hmm. because that's just about the same grade that um, Quinn Miners got. And I thought Quinn Miners did a much better job head up on the running game. Uh, but those were those guys were ranked two and three overall with Cortland Sutton being ranked number one. Uh, left tackle Garrett Bowles was uh, a mid 53.9 run block grade. Mike McGlinchey was a 77 run block. Unfortunately, he was a 52.7 on the other side. And I feel like I'm missing one more. Uh, Bailey had to come in. Cam Fleming had to come in. Who am I missing? Left guard, Ben Powers. Where is Ben Powers on here? Drunk. Can't he even find game. Ben Powers. I have to do a control F to find Ben Powers. Did he play? Yeah, there he did. 61.3, 60.5 run block. The, uh, there was a question here. I apologize. I don't remember who it was from. It says, how do you feel overall about the running game? Here it was. It was from Joey on Facebook. How happy are you with your running game as a whole? It seems to be an area of concern to me. Also, score or not, they may handle us in all phases and couldn't stop nothing. They're definitely more physical up front, both sides of the ball. And overall, I'm not overall happy with the running game, Nick. No. Uh, I think it should be better than it is setting up the play action. Um Javante Williams, I think, is so far ahead of where we thought he would be that is he who we expect him to be for Javante Williams? No. Is he more than we expected based on the injury? Yes. I thought when this happened, there might be a chance we could see him hit the field now-ish. Could it be conceivable that his legs are getting a little gassed right now from the heavier load than he expected to take? Coming back from that injury, yeah, he could be hitting basically a rookie wall of sorts. Yeah, um, and I'm also to, be to see him play next year too. Another guy I'm looking to see play uh, after a, a year of being healthy. Andy, not only just talking about coming off the injury, but Scott, he's never been a one A volume back like we are seeing this season uh, in his career at Carolina. He played with Michael Carter, uh, who they were pretty much a 55-45 split, and then in Denver, uh, he had pretty much a 50-50 split with Melvin Gordon. So you almost wonder if the volume of snaps is something that he just can't sustain while still being efficient with his style of running. Uh, so maybe that's something in the off season, uh, the Broncos, even though they lack a lot of draft picks, uh, maybe they're looking to supplement the field. I mean, I think P Ryan's been good in his role, but they haven't really trusted him in the under center run game. It's been much more of a extra guy in the past game, uh, which is a concern. And Jill McLaughlin is a pretty much like you're playing, uh, poker where you're showing half your cards, right? Or whatever the one where you hold it up on your head, right? Like Jalen McLaughlin's out there. We're not keeping him in pass pro. Play all your rush games that you possibly can because lot, Gord, Lord knows 38 is not going to be part of the pass protection plan. So you can get a free rusher uh, in the matchup game because he can't stay back here and block. So it's, it's tough right now with the running game. Again, I feel like because football is such a everything, the system all works together. From what I was seeing from this Lions game, it was complete disrespect from the Broncos in the past game uh, that made it hard to run because they were just flying downhill and you'd hope a little bit better with the the play action in that scenario, but with the naked boots and whatnot, they're already getting there by the time Russell Wilson turns around. So it's uh, it's hard. It was very discombobulated, and this was a bad Lions team coming into this game. They were 32nd in the NFL in EPA per pass, I think, since week seven, and you made them look like a top 10 unit uh, up front. So just concerns all around uh, from this Broncos game. I thought the defense was going to have a hard one. I did not expect the offense to look this inept versus a bad Lions defense this season. Yeah, that was the big surprise was how well they played, but they were committing bodies to the line of scrimmage and you couldn't beat them is is what it came down to. Um, 
and their linebackers played a much better game. And they're, despite the PFF scores, my eye analytics tell me that they were getting that the, the Detroit defensive line was winning up front uh, against the interior offensive line. Keith says, as my man Albert has been saying, it's time for the NFL to pay for full time refs. This is one that I think is a narrative that I I don't understand, or I just think that people don't people don't understand. The average salary for an NFL referee is over $200,000. They get 12 grand a game. That's full-time to me. That's mm-hmm. full-time pay. This isn't a pay issue. Um, you know, they don't have to run everywhere like a soccer official. I want them to stay in a certain shape. There is a complete lack of accountability on there. They've got the union that, that there's there's no there's no doesn't seem to be that there's any real review process and promotion and relegation of the referees, but these guys are being paid full time for 17 games. What, what do you want them to, to do to, to, you know, I'm sure they're in training, they're doing all these things, but what do they need to do differently to work 17 Sundays a year, Mondays, whatever, to work 17 games a year. So I don't think it's a, a pay issue i think it's an accountability problem but they're paying them full time yeah there should probably be like a review process or something where mm-hmm. they we needed like a pff for refs and their consistency yeah. as well and the no, issue I is just said there, there ought to be absolutely should be accountability and a review process and a majors and minor leagues type of thing where you're you're moving guys up and down but it ain't a pay problem it ain't a full-time pay thing that's that's a that's a narrative that I'd like to see changed. The issue too is that it just varies wildly between ref crew to ref crew too. Like one week to the next, they're emphasizing and calling things very differently um, from the holds to the off offsides offense to DPI. Uh, so just I mean, even if they are going to get some of the calls wrong, I want them to be consistent across the board, ref crew to ref crew, which is hard. They're humans at the end of the day, but you talk about it, accountability. So it's a uh, it's definitely something that needs to get cleaned up. I feel like the refing has been poor. Also, just some of the operational stuff this season, like getting the ball lined up in time. I mean, just like understanding the downs. I mean, it's like you are in charge of running a smooth game at the same time while enforcing the rules. And I feel like that's been a little clunky this season, too. So I don't know what the solution well, there's, is. There's, I'm not I'm not saying anything about the quality of officiating. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, Albert says, what I mean by that is, working it every day and not as a second job. The refing is their job during the week, watching full and being able to get fired when not performing. The latter part of that, I agree with the first part of that. How do we not know? If I, I can work a 40 hour week and still go put four hours into NFL officiating, put 40 hours in a week and that, I, I mean, that's that's not a problem. So again, the accountability, that, that that type of stuff needs to get better as far as the investment into the referees from the NFL, that's taken care of how we get better. It's not about paying them full time. They're, they're getting paid. It's not about what more can you do to make them better and hold them accountable. That's a union problem. Yeah, uh, it is a uh, problem for sure. So yeah, I'm not sure what the solution is. Scott, we need to start wrapping it up here. Cause I got to get moving here. Uh, final thoughts. Again, I keep saying it. I've been as rough of Russell Wilson this season as possible. Uh, not as rough as possible, but I'm critical. You know, I'm not making excuses for a guy who's getting the money that he should. Uh, but in this game specifically, I just have such a hard time getting past the lines of scrimmage to even evaluate players. I uh, did want to give a shot. I thought Judy had a pretty good game overall. Uh, crazy. And the timing stuff works with uh, Judy can have some big plays. Uh, but again, Denver, both sides of the line of scrimmage got beat, not as surprised by the front seven getting beat uh, because this line team matched up really well with the areas that were concerning for the Broncos on the defense side of the ball. A little surprising to see the offensive line, get beat as much if this is a trend going forward maybe it is because of how teams are scheming things up and disrespecting the broncos in the drop back pass game and when you pretty much have to you know bracket sutton and then play the running back in the pass game too it makes your options pretty easy you can be aggressive with your run fits and everything which makes it pretty damn hard to run the football but again broncos got beat up big boy football uh we haven't seen that a lot this season and it's uh probably one of the more disappointing ways to lose games uh, in the NFL, just getting physically dominated. Yeah. It, it, it showed the gap to where, okay, we can make the playoffs versus are we a contender? And I don't think anybody's necessarily thought you play too many close games. As we said, can you beat anyone on any given Sunday? Yes. 
-hmm. You can. You've proven that. The problem is, is you're playing so many close games, you can get beat on any given Sunday, and it makes it really hard to go on a run uh, that way against quality teams. Keith Robbins coming in, finishing off uh, with the super sticker. Thank you, sir. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Keith. And just how it kind of reminded me of this game, Scott. It's kind of like when you have a... I'll just get. I always use the example, but like Iowa, you know, you're playing some tough games there this season, and then you go up against a team that has four and five stars littered across the offensive and defensive lines, with their two deep being as good as your starters. And it's like, wow, we can't do anything right now because they're just leaning on us. They have different body types. Uh, we just cannot hang in the trenches, and because of that, they can do pretty much whatever they want, and we can't even, you know, hit the back of our drop uh, without getting pressure there, and guys aren't open anyways. Uh, so. That's what this game felt like to me. It was a team that was just so much more talented uh, than you in the trenches, and it made it impossible to move the football and be consistent consistent in any phase. Uh, so you're not quite ready for the big time, and it showed the gap, too, in terms of the talent up front that this team still needs to work on and get better. Surprisingly bad performance from the offensive line. If it is a trend going forward over these last three games, maybe we'll need to evaluate the entire system and why it looks so poor when – a lot of the metrics show the offensive line has not been that poor this season. Yeah. And uh, Gabe rock says Russ's fumble was a killer. He's been fumbling all year. I, I think it, I think it took some momentum. And if you look at it and say, well, the Broncos have been much better when scoring first and that took away a scoring opportunity, but the defense stood up there after that fumble, the defense forced the Detroit lions to punt twice. Okay. So the defense and the Broncos survived that fumble. The difference is, is, the mentality and the mental toughness of this team, especially this offense, then to go back out there and attack and overcome the fact that they fumbled and, and not just to curl up in a shell. Um, but the Broncos absolutely survived this fumble. The defense forced the, the Detroit Lions to punt twice their next two possessions. Um, the field position flipped a little bit, but then that goes back to the overall quality of the offense, not being able to move the ball against a team that has been giving up points and yards. So I'm 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 not overly worried about how the fumble impacted the game. I'm more concerned with the inability of the, the offense to move the ball. Yeah. And I would imagine this was probably one of the longest average third down to go. I think when the Broncos had the ball on that almost touchdown where they maybe scored, maybe didn't score, and then Russell Wilson gets yelled at. But I think I saw a statistic flash that the Broncos average yards to go on third down up to that point was like 7.77 yards. And that's just behind the sticks. You don't have the quarterback run options there. The check downs are almost impossible to get the first downs when you are that far. So, uh, and just some of the stats, I mean, the Broncos were horrific on early downs in this game and negative 0.24 yards for, per rush. That's like in the bottom 25th percentile. You are negative, <laughs> just horrible first and second down rushing efficiency. And the lions were playing that way. Uh, to take that away from the Broncos and it sets you behind and you couldn't win uh, in the end when you were that far off schedule in a drive perspective as well. So rough game for the Broncos. It's one that again, I'm kicking myself for picking the Broncos. I thought, Hey, let's not be a Ebenezer Scrooge here and uh, say that the turnover stuff is not likely to continue considering how much golf had been turning it over, but very reliant defense on the turnovers. And once that normalized, looks like a team that's probably very much middle of the pack with some fatal weaknesses in the front seven. Michael Ranquillo closing us out. It's great show today. Nick and Scott on Broncos for breakfast. And Keith came in with a super sticker. He's got a, uh, a comment now uh, coming in over from the, the, the Falcons channel. Good to see you, Keith. He says, if the Broncos and Falcons join forces, including staff, do y'all think we would at least make the playoffs? Probably win the freaking Super Bowl, honestly. I um, don't know if you have the quarterback. You still are limited at the quarterback spot. Yeah, but again, that would be kind of fun to go, you know, a best 11 on both sides because a lot of the, a lot of the, oh, come on, man. If if I go Cortland Sutton and add them to, to, uh, to Kyle Pitts and Drake London, I've got, <clears throat> think of the offensive line I could put out there if I had Quinn Miners and uh, Lindstrom. Lindstrom, one of them's going to have to play left side. Okay. My right tackle still a little bit of a concern, but maybe I can get Jake Matthews or Bowles to play right tackle on that side. On the we defensive side of the ball, are you kidding me? Jesse Bates, A.J. Terrell, uh, Justin Simmons, and Pat Sertan? <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. And if they're healthy, again, 
let me let me take the problems the Denver Broncos have on the front side of the on the on the front of their defense. Let me put in Grady Jarrett and David Onyemata for you. And yeah. just still a little bit of a concern, but there's enough bodies there that I think you're running waves of guys out there with their hair on fire. And one of those other guys out there that I can move around is Calais Campbell. While I've got with Russell Wilson steering the ship and, and Sean Payton, that's a Super Bowl contender, Keith. Probably this year. I still think what are the two most important areas in the football field? Quarterback and the ability to get pressure with four. You, those are probably the two biggest questions on these two teams combined still. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it'd be tough <laughs> to see. But, uh, yeah, guys, we got to uh, wrap it on up here. Got to get to a baby appointment. Tough to see the Broncos. Unfortunately, everything go wrong. Final thing, Scott, because uh, I really do have to go. I don't give a flying you-know-what that Sean Payton was yelling at Wilson on the sideline. Uh, I respect Wilson for just taking it stoically. Honestly, I respect him more for you know doing that and being consistent, but sometimes coach is going to lose it out there. Maybe it's not the best way to communicate. Uh, you see him also be a little bit pissy in the post-game press conference. Honestly, don't care. Um, everybody in that Broncos uh, in Dove Valley should be kissing Sean Payton's you-know-what because a lot of people are going to keep their jobs because of him, and this is what you signed up for, so... I don't, I don't give a hoot that he yelled. Some people are like, oh, I lost respect. You can't do that. Win football games. Execute better. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, this, is, this is a tough game. I promise you that's not the first time Russell Wilson has had a coach yell at him in the course of his footballing career. Um, it, it happens all the – it really starts happening in middle school <laughs> all the way through. So be it. What, I, what I've told you all from the very beginning, though, after watching him for years with the Saints, Sean Payton is an arrogant ass. He absolutely is. But he's your arrogant ass. You don't care if he's on your side and you're winning football games. However, the minute things start going a little rocky, the media is going to turn on him quicker. They're going to take more shots at him because they're not overly friendly. This isn't their guy. This isn't a guy that's feeding me, spoon feeding me extra information and cultivating a relationship that helps me make my job easier. I don't like him. That's the way it's going to be. So don't worry too much what the media is saying until as long as the Broncos are or winning, it, it won't it won't matter, and you'll love him for it. Yeah, three games left. We'll see what happens one at a time. This is a uh, feisty Patriots team and a very good Patriots defense. So we'll see what happens with the Broncos offense down the stretch here. Uh, but uh, Scott, got to wrap it up. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter. Scott is at Scout Kennedy. I'm at Nick Kendall MHH. Also follow us at Mile Huddle as well as BFB underscore Pod. Make sure you're following us at facebook.com forward slash mile huddle and facebook.com forward slash mile huddle pod. And as the ticker says here underneath, please subscribe to our show, like it on your social media platforms and share it uh, wherever you can. We appreciate you guys. Scott, final thought, uh, Broncos get beat up in this one. Everything kind of goes wrong, but season's not over yet. You still got to play the games and we'll see what happens. It's one game that went poorly, very poorly. This doesn't change all of the good things that have happened for the Denver Broncos. This doesn't also, it highlighted the pro, the things that are still wrong with this Denver Broncos team. That's okay. We know they need to get better on the defensive line of scrimmage. We know we need them to get more athletic on, uh, we need them to be more athletic at linebacker. We know we need another corner. That's fine. Uh, and the offensive side, that's a little bit more of an overall concern because you've put the resources into it and you're not getting the returns. Rough, rough, rough. I see Justin come into number one priority this offseason is pass rusher. We'll see what happens with Russell Wilson. We got three games left. The Broncos lose this game versus New England. We might have to have a conversation about sitting Russ to protect him from injury. So that way you are not forced into keeping him when you want to have the option. But that's a we'll see what happens versus New England right now. We're a week away from that uh, needing to be a hypothetical discussion but pass rush and defensive line in general is an area the broncos need to bring in some bodies uh we can have a whole show about that i don't want to spend too much time but pass rushers way up there justin without a doubt and even when you have pass rushers pass rushers up there it's that important <laughs> yeah yeah because again you could start losing guys oh justin or uh not justin but um jonathan cooper gets a bigger contract from somebody else and he's gone well now i need to get another one Yep. You can't, you can never have too many of them. Just stack them. Injuries happen, all kinds of things. So yep. yeah, stack them, keep them exactly. coming. Pass rush is a huge priority for this team. Yep. And FC Donnelly says no chance Denver moves on from Russ. We'll see. It would be costly, but uh, if Sean wants that, considering how many more years he has the coaching left, you want to be tied to the next two with Wilson. I it's, I don't envy 
them at all with the decision. I, I think on. you're be- if you want to move on from him, I think you have to threaten him. Basically, you have to play hardball, which because you're better off financially with him being on the team than if you were to move on from him flat out. So you might have to say, Russ, we're we're benching you. If if you're you're on the bench, you're not playing anymore. This is the end of your career, basically, because we own your rights. If you want to go, redo the contract and give us some money back, and we'll we'll, we'll we will release you or seek a trade. That's that is your best financial option with Russell Wilson, and it's not a good one. There are no good ones when you're tied into this contract. And he hasn't played so bad that it's an obvious choice. Right. That's the thing too. Yep. It's like, I think you're teetering. So it's, it's tough. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Three more games. Why, why make a decision before we have to? Uh, so thank you guys so much. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you again tomorrow morning. Continue to choose kindness and compassion and go Broncos. Head on over to milehighhuddle.com for all things Broncos. Good morning, Broncos country.